Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Hey, Evan, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm great. This is the second take. See, this is what people don't see behind the scenes in podcasts, and I'm not going to edit this part out because we make mistakes and we stutter and stammer, and, and it's all good. So my guest today is Evan Leonard. I first met Evan when he was a student of mine at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona, and we've stayed in touch ever since. After graduating in 2019 with a business management degree, Evan began working for the Whirlpool, I can't say that word, Evan, corporation, and his career is flourishing. Today, he's the market manager for Phoenix, Arizona, since being promoted to that position six months ago at the time of this recording. Evan is a diehard Seattle Mariners fan, having grown up in the Pacific Northwest, and we're kindred spirits in the sense that our lives as sports fans has been fraught with nothing but pain. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. All kidding aside, he's a terrific young man and has been married to his wife, Rachel, for four years. Evan, welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. So a couple of things just to get out of the way. The first is you ended up taking multiple classes with me at GCU. And I'm wondering, did you need to have your head checked along the way? Why on earth would you do that to yourself, <laughs> taking multiple classes with me? Oh, I can only imagine. You know, we've talked about it before, having the, what was it called? Rate my professor. Is that what it was, right? Those were yes. very popular back then. And I definitely heavily relied on that, especially when I was first going through uh, trying to pick professors and whatnot. So, yeah, but it was an easy choice making sure to come back for a second time around with you in management 420. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but the whole rate my professor thing is fascinating. Even even up until last semester, so spring of, of 2023, my students would tell me all the time that they use that tool. And I really don't know how to feel about it seems like either you're loved or students have an axe to grind. It doesn't seem like there's really much much in the middle. No, but I mean, that's probably most review systems, right? You only take the time to post something if you're either wowed or extremely pissed off. <laughs> yeah, very true. So I do want to talk about your wife, Rachel. I mentioned that the two of you have been married for four years and just for the audience sake, I'm taking full credit, despite the name of this podcast, I'm taking full credit for the fact that Evan and Rachel uh, are married or ever got together at all. Evan, would you like to tell that story? Or would you like me to tell my version of it? You've told it before. You've got it down. I'm sure you got your punchline you want to deliver. You can go ahead and tell it. <laughs> so I was mentoring Evan and this particular conversation that he and I were having led him to disclose to me that he had his eyes on this young lady named Rachel, but he hadn't, he, he hadn't mustered the courage just yet to ask her out. 
Now, my approach to mentoring is I give homework assignments to my <laughs> mentees. And one of the homework assignments was for Evan to ask Rachel out, to which she smiled and said yes. And here we are, Evan, four plus years later. And let me just tell you, you married up. I definitely did. There's no doubt about that. She's still around. So very thankful. <laughs> yeah. One final stroll down amnesia lane here. Whenever I first met you, you had political aspirations. What happened? What changed for you where you decided to say, hey, look, you know what? I'm not going to sort of tread into the political space. Honestly, I haven't thought about it a whole lot. I'm not sure. I definitely when I was going through school. Obviously, I had social media at the time when I was 18, 20, however old I was at that time. And I think over time, I just, I think I ended up finding myself just getting angry and frustrated at things that I can't control. And I ended up just deleting all of my social media and just trying to remove that for myself. Found myself spending too much time of my day wasting away, scrolling on things that aren't important, not spending time proving, developing, spending as much time as I should be with the Lord and it just kind of was more of a distraction and something I found myself just getting angry with. And it's nothing that I necessarily had control over. I don't think the political aspirations are completely gone, but at least in the short term, I don't see them. Time will tell. I've definitely learned that the Lord has a plan and it is different from my plan. So just trying to make sure that we're always putting ourselves in a place to be obedient, even when things don't make sense. Well, at least we're in the same boat with the the whole, our plan isn't necessarily God's plan. Yes. <laughs> boat. So for what it's worth, the the political landscape, as we all know, is fraught with corruption at every level. And we need people like you to really be that agent of change. So hopefully, and maybe, maybe we'll say a few prayers on this, hopefully God uh, allows you to enter that space at some point. Tell us a little bit about your background. I mentioned in the opening that you're from the Pacific Northwest. So maybe walk us through your background and how you ended up where you are in your life today. Yeah, no, that's really fair. Um, primarily raised Pacific Northwest. I was actually born in Des Moines, Iowa, in the middle of a blizzard, almost on a golf course. That's a whole nother conversation. Parents moved around a little bit in their career, early career. My brother, my second brother, the middle one was born in Chicago, and then eventually Lord brought the family back to, to the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area, which is where the majority of both sides of my family are from, and majority still are there to some degree. And so pretty much raised there most of my entire life, went to high school there, graduated, ended up finding GCU, and that was like the first time like outside of the family boundaries, I guess. And so... It was college and the high school credits, so I only spent three years at G GCU before graduating. And then the summer between my junior and senior year, one of my dad's old work connections, his name is Mark Collier, he's a great man. Um, he reached out to me and encouraged me to apply for an internship with Whirlpool. And so I got it, and that's what I did my, between my summer of junior and senior year. So spent eight weeks, however, 12 weeks, however long it was, up in St. Joseph, Michigan, where Whirlpool's global headquarters are. And then after the completion of that, you have a big presentation in front of senior leaderships, basically. And they 
offered me a job to come back after graduating. And so that's how I got started with Whirlpool, knowing that their sales leadership development program meant going back to Michigan for three months for more extensive training on my own without Rachel, even after we just got married. And then knowing that we were going to get moved somewhere in the country. And at the time we had no idea where, and it ended up being Knoxville, Tennessee. And so then two, two roles there in Knoxville. One was based in that area, calling on local accounts. And then one was a remote role and we just decided to stay there, spent about three years. And then December, 2022, we said, well, we didn't say the Lord said it was time to move back to Arizona. And so didn't make a whole lot of sense, but we did it. We were obedient and we moved back and then we blessed us with new job opportunities here. And I was just telling you beforehand, we were about to close on our first house together. So the Lord has definitely blessed us in ways that we don't deserve, um, but definitely grateful for and just want to make sure that we're using them to glorify his kingdom. Are you on a quest for meaning and purpose in your professional life? Introducing Practical Truth, the divine initiative that brings real solutions to your business challenges rooted in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Our community of Christ followers goes beyond the ordinary, offering support and guidance to tackle real-time workplace issues. Whether you're a senior leader, mid-level or first-time manager, business owner, entrepreneur, or aspiring leader, we invite you to join us. Together, we navigate the complexities of work, sifting through religious dogma and societal norms, all while embracing the teachings of Jesus Christ. We believe that sharing our experiences in a compassionate, safe environment leads to meaningful transformation. Join the Practical Truth community, where faith meets business and where you're empowered to put the word into your daily work. Make an impact and find purpose in your journey. Visit our website at thepracticaltruth.com and be part of a community that's changing the way we approach business. God bless. That's awesome. Congratulations on your first house. Thank you. That comes with all sorts of uh, new and different responsibilities. And I'll be interested to sh share some war stories uh, as, as the years progress for sure. <laughs> now, you were an athlete growing up primarily baseball correct to some degree i don't think i was like one of the crazy athletes definitely played some baseball played some football through middle school i had like knee surgery and that was kind of in middle school seventh or eighth grade and that's when i stopped playing uh football and then i only played baseball through my freshman year of high school and that's pretty much where it stopped and where did your love for the seattle mariners come from God only knows that what a miserable franchise. <laughs> it's just pain and suffering. Um, I, I think it probably stems from my dad's side of the family. It's their big baseball family. And that's kind of what we grew up with. It was never forced on us or anything, but we just started playing it when we were young and just kind of fell in love with it. Actually, my youngest brother, Easton, is now at Azusa Pacific as a freshman and he's on the baseball team. So hoping to get the chance to go watch him play sometime this baseball season. Just for the sake of asking, is his name, be, you know, being Easton, is his name after? Is he named after the 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 baseball equipment manufacturing company? Honestly, I have no idea. You'd probably have to ask my parents because it's three E's, so it's Evan, Ethan, and Easton. So at that point, maybe it had some influence. Maybe my dad had some sway there. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Or maybe it's just leading to the outcome. <laughs> Until we know that's going to fester and uh, there's going to be some sleepless nights in there. I'm going to need to get your dad on the phone. Now you grew up in, in a Christian home. 
because I interviewed your dad, Darren, on a previous episode of the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. What brought you to Christ? Was it parent influence? How did that, how did that um, work out for you? Yeah, definitely raised in faith-based home. I think everyone goes through that little bit of rebellious spirit where it felt a little bit more forced than necessarily you wanted it to be. It wasn't until I, I, got, I spent a lot of time in high school uh, volunteering and being involved with the Young Life group or organization, um, doing a lot of their camps up in like Malibu, Canada and Creekside, Oregon. They've got a lot of great places there. And so I never strayed like too far from my faith, but I definitely always, my mom will kill me for saying this, but it definitely felt like she was like trying to force me to get baptized and I wanted to do it and it be my decision basically. And I ultimately took my sweet time deciding I'm going to get baptized. And it wasn't until senior year of my birthday, March 9th, yeah, of my senior year in high school, where I ultimately made it my decision to go and get baptized and asked one of my youth pastors to go baptize me in the local river. And so that was kind of like the turning point of when I made faith my own decision. And then going to GCU uh, up until recently, that was probably at that point was the closest I'd ever been in my relationship with the Lord and just a great place of nothing that was like ever forced on you, but you had all the opportunities to grow in your faith and grow with other community around you that definitely helped propel that for me. And what role has your faith played in your life ever since then? A major one. I think honestly, the three years in Tennessee were probably a little bit dark for us. We moved away from family and friends and we didn't know anyone there. At the time, I don't think we necessarily recognized it, but looking back, it definitely was good for Rachel and I being able to focus on just our relationship together without outside influence from family. But at the same time, we moved the week before Thanksgiving in 2019. So we moved right before the pandemic and everything shut down. And so a lot of it honestly was my fault of not being encouraging and trying to go find a local church. We tried a couple, nothing too crazy. And it was just, it was a very different dynamic, not in a way that's bad by any means. It's just different. Growing up on the West coast, you're very, it's very casual and laid back. You wear your Seahawk jerseys to church on Sunday and sweatpants and people wear three piece suits to church in, in the Bible belt. And so it was a little, I don't know if culture shirts, culture shock is the right word or not, but it was maybe not off putting, but taken back a little bit and didn't necessarily feel like a fit in, which isn't a good excuse, but it was kind of the reality. And we kind of just grew away from our faith a little bit while we were there. And it was a little while after that, we spent about three years there in Tennessee. And then ultimately the Lord came knocking back and just said, it's time for you to move home. And we knew that when Rachel and I were back here in January, 2022, yeah, 2022, we were here for one of her friend's weddings and I dropped her off with her and the other bridesmaids at the, at the couple's house. So they were spending the night there before going to the wedding venue the next day. And I was driving back on the 10, going back to her parents' house who live over in Goodyear because we were staying with them and just the most immaculate sunset you'd ever see and just felt the Lord just speak to me right then. They're like, this is home. This is what you're supposed to be. So that was kind of the deciding point that we said once the lease was up, we're moving back to Arizona. At the time, it didn't make a lot of sense, especially financially, because we were stuck trying to find jobs and weren't advancing in our career where how we would like to be and put a lot of money on a credit card to make that move happen, which probably wasn't the wisest financial decision. 
but in the end we did it. We moved back. We were committed to getting plugged in with the local church and finding community of other Christ-like followers here and being closer to friends and family, both hers and mine, because mine are still up in Seattle. So it's a lot closer to seeing friends and family. And the Lord's just blessed us ever since, since then and being more committed to tithing. I think those were the two aspects of just being obedient and committing to the faithfulness of tithing. The Lord's just blessed us ever since. Got the job that I had been wanting for over a year. And Rachel finally got more of a career opportunity as well. Got out of the serving and bartending scene. And and now he's blessed us with a house when we definitely were not in a place financially to have that a year ago. So faith has definitely been a major component of our lives ever since making that decision to make it our own. How would you describe to someone how it seems whenever you're lined up with God's call in your life, everything just seems to flow versus those moments where we try to make things happen ourselves and it's met with resistance. I mean, how would you help someone work through that space? Because we're conditioned, programmed really, to believe that if we keep our head down and grind and toil and struggle and make it happen, it will happen for us. And yet so many of those moments are seemingly met with you know, resistance or closed doors or the like. I wish that there was a greater answer. I wish there was more clear cut, but I don't know if there is one to be totally honest. I think, I think of ourselves and our example. I mean, we were not in a good financial place. We shouldn't have financially been making the move. And there's a lot of things that I think come down to personal experience. Um, I could talk about what the Lord's done for us in the way of being faithful and blessing, but I really feel like I've come to learn the power in tithing of God can do more with 90% than you can with a hundred. And it's the one area where he challenges, right? He challenge, he says, it's okay to challenge the Lord in this area. Watch what I do for you. And I think of one of the couples in our community group, it's not my story to tell, so I won't name names, but wonderful couple. And, They've struggled with fertility for many, many years. And ultimately one day we all were together as a big group in our community group and just having a conversation about are you guys tithing? And they hadn't been because some people may know like the cost of doing IVF and all those other options that come along with trying to start a family can get really, really expensive and it really adds up. And you can very easily become very tight with your money of knowing the well, this is the goal of and so we, uh, a group just collectively challenged them, just test God, start tithing, see what he can do, because he can do more with 90 than we can with 100. And they're not out of the woods yet, but they, at the moment, they're about seven weeks pregnant. This is the furthest point that they've ever been, and it's just been really awesome to see. So still a lot more prayer to come, still a long way to go, but definitely just getting to see the war Lord work in people's lives when they're faithful with their finances. Yeah. How has becoming a husband changed you? <laughs> That's a broad question. <laughs> it's a really broad question. Well, I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you take it any direction you you'd like to go. Oh, geez. I don't know. I, I'm having to learn more patience. I like things a certain way, and I'm learning that that just doesn't work. And I'm sure one day when we have a family, I'll definitely have that drilled into my head. But. It's really helped me learn, I think, how to how to better encourage. 
I've tried and failed many times already in the four years that we've been together, married, of sometimes the encouragement and pushing in a direction meets resistance, and sometimes the stagnant doesn't lead to any outcome. So I think I still have a lot to learn there. I'm no expert on that by any means, but patience is probably a very good virtue to learn. <laughs> Sooner the better. Well, for what it's worth, what I can tell you is that almost every fight that you and Rachel will have will be about preferences and details. You probably won't argue very often on, uh, on core value issues. It's preferences and details. And what I've come to understand is that within those preferences and details is our ego. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, it, it permeates all of that. So the sooner you can eliminate preferences, <laughs> Evan, the better your marriage is going to be. That's just how that's going to go. I like when the cabinets are closed and stuff, not just like <laughs> that's, that's so. right. in the grand scheme of thing, it doesn't matter. I should probably just get over it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And especially whenever, whenever you have kids, you're going to come home to loud and cluttered. Speaking of kids, uh, any, any aspirations for you and Rachel starting a family anytime soon? Eventually. Yes. I'm hoping to actually start my MBA here after the new year. And then I think after that, we really wanted to get the home first and be closer to family. I probably can't underestimate how, how beneficial it will be to have others around you who can help when you're trying to start the family, especially when they're that young. So probably soon, nothing too crazy. Dad, if you're listening, don't get your hopes up. I know that they would love for that to be today, but hopefully soon. The goal is to finish out the MBA while I don't have those distractions. And then it'd probably be time to start trying to have a family. Very good. So switching gears just a little bit, and this is a, this is a hard left turn okay. coming off of talking about uh, being married and, and having children, but we'll zoom out a little bit. From your perspective, what is the current state of masculinity? I told you, hard left turn. Yeah, very hard left turn and another broad question. Thank you for that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... I feel like we're, I'm not on social media, right? Like I said earlier, so I don't get to see all the necessarily current day things, but at least from what I can hear and what I do see, it obviously seems like it's something that is almost like preached against. Um, I don't know. Personally, in my experience, I think it's something that's important. I think sometimes boys are boys and you got to let them like, obviously still chivalry and respect is of the utmost importance, but boys and girls are very different and they require different things. It's not a one size, one, one size fits all kind of thing. So I don't know. It's very important to me. And I don't really know why. I think when we were grabbing coffee, I told you that I was like volunteering with our local church of doing the sports league football. And I'm doing it again this season. And we just had our first game last week. Um, and I don't really know where the passion came from, but something about just being like a good role model for youth is just something that sits really heavy on my heart. And I have no idea where it came from, but it's something that I think is very important and take very seriously. And I think that's one avenue that I have to excel, not excel, to, to practice that behavior. So when you say you have a passion for being a role model for youth, are you saying youth in general 
or more specifically young boys that you know you can make an impact in their life? I think there's, I mean, I think there's youth in general has importance, but they're different. I think the passion is probably a little bit more for the young men, but I wouldn't necessarily exclude either. But I think the passion is probably a little bit more towards a positive, like, male role model in their lives because I've seen what it can do when you don't have that and it can be very damaging, especially at a very young age. That's something that's definitely just always been heavy on my heart. What do you think holds men back from, from stepping into the space and not cowering in the face of culture? Cause I know for me, even when I was at Grand Canyon, I, I, I didn't shy away from certain topics. And now that I'm no longer there and I'm a you know, business owner, I quite frankly, don't, I, I don't self-censor on, on certain topics, but th- there are plenty of men that absolutely do self-censor, mm-hmm. particularly in the workplace where they'll, the, they may cower may be too pointed of a word, but the whole pronoun thing and not actually stepping into a, a leadership space that they're sorely needed to step into. What do you, what do you think holds them back? Probably fear more than anything. I think that's one thing that we've really, we had a series recently at churches acting in faith instead of fear. I feel like fear is probably fear of being accepted, fear of being deemed as judgmental, fear of upsetting someone. I don't think anyone has bad intentions of, I don't want to upset you, right? I don't want to say something that's going to hurt your feelings. But at the ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're not talking about the truth, you're not having a productive conversation. Something that my dad always told me was like absolute truth with absolute compassion. You have to be talking about the truth to make sure that you're addressing the issue and making progress. Cause if you're not, then the conversation's pointless, but you do have a responsibility to deliver it in a way with compassion so that a way that it can be heard and received by the other side as well. And so I think it, a lot of times we probably just don't have practice walking that line of understanding how do I deliver what needs to be said in a way that can be heard and received? So when you, whenever you say that, are you talking about holding someone accountable in, in business and doing that compassionately? Or are you talking about just more, more broadly a, a general exchange of ideas? I think it can apply to both. Uh, obviously every situation is a little bit unique and a little different. I mean, there's a lot of organizations where it's like it's you get into and it's, it's really hard to get yourself fired from sometimes because there's a lot of rules and regulations of they have to have two down performance years, year after year or something. And then there's others where it's one quarter and you're out kind of thing. So, I mean, it depends on the environment. So I think it can apply to both. Speaking of your work, what's the most gratifying aspect of it? Because you've you've had you, you've had upward mobility since you started at Whirlpool. I can't hardly say that word. It's like Calendly. I can't hardly say that one either. I What's been the most gra- gratifying part of your career thus far? Hmm. That's a good question. I really haven't thought about it. Most gratifying part of my career. I think in my previous role that I was in before. 
it, that team was a new team to the organization. A lot of people didn't really know what the team was there to do, what they were supposed to do necessarily. And so we kind of had that unique opportunity of getting to make face, develop it and mold it into what we wanted it to be kind of thing. And I wasn't the first one on the team. And there's obviously still others that came after me. But I think that that was a place where I got to really just show my work ethic more than anything. And it was not just well received, but acknowledged and praised for. And so obviously everyone likes to get praised for things of doing a good job. So um, that was probably the most gratifying because I definitely got a lot of acknowledgement for the work I was doing of being one of the best, probably maybe the best at what I was doing. And so that was that that was definitely a very gratifying year, year and a half in that role. So let's explore that just a little bit. Because the older that I've gotten, the more I've shifted away from the pursuit of validation by others. So external validation mm-hmm. and really grounding more in to doing things well for the sake of doing them well. And if I get recognized for that, that's great. It's going to feel good because it's supposed to, but I'm not seeking that out. Do you, do you happen to find that that can actually serve to limit how we represent ourselves in not only in the workplace, but, but in life in general? I don't know if I know enough about that, to be totally honest. I'm still a young, dumb kid who has a lot to learn. Um, and so obviously at, at the time, definitely like when that was back in Tennessee, when we definitely were in a dark place and getting some gratification anywhere was good gratification at the time, good acknowledgement. And so I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but I don't know if I'm at that point in my life where I've necessarily fully comprehended that, that that's not a long-term place where you should be seeking um, fulfillment. Right. I mean, I think you and when you had that conversation with my father, on the previous episode of his work was his idol, right? I mean, if you're not getting gratification or acknowledgement of success at home, like you're, I think, to seek it out somewhere. And if you're not getting it at home, then you're going to probably turn to your work or some other place in your life, a hobby or something like that, right? And you can make that your idol and that can become your addiction of, wow, this is, this is something I'm good at. This is something that others know I'm good at and, I can invest a lot of time here easily because I'm getting acknowledged for it. So I think maybe I'm just too young to fully comprehend that just yet. Cause I haven't gone through a lot of that. And maybe that's a better conversation for someone like yourself, who's a little more seasoned uh, compared to me, but I don't think you're wrong off the premise of what you stated. What I find interesting about the notion of external validation is almost always it's outcomes focused or outcomes centered. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because if you, if, if you really pay attention to the teachings of Jesus, the outcome that he spoke of m- most frequently was eternity. But if you really start unpacking what he says, a lot of what he, what he talks about is the process it's less outcomes focused and more internal, you know, be, this is how, this is how we should behave to, to show up better in the world and be in the service of others. Mm -hmm. Being in the service of others is independent of the, the outcome of that service in many ways. What's your general sense of that idea? Uh, 
It's tough. I, the first thing that comes to my mind, honestly, and I don't really know why. Have you ever done the Symbus test before? I think that's what it's called. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? It's no. like it's like a color test. It's like a personality test. We do them at work. They always have everyone do it, and then it's like you're like you lead with red, blue, green, yellow, whatever. It's different personalities, and they give you this whole dissertation about yourself, basically. And you're like, well, this is accurate. This isn't. So on and so on. I, I did mine when I was first starting with Whirlpool, and they. You can't say it either. <laughs> no, I'm just. <laughs> You get good at saying it. Whirlpool's pretty easy. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna break in the action. I'm gonna challenge anyone listening to that to say Whirlpool fast three times. Ready, set, go. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Evan. Please continue. No, you're good. I did one of those tests, personality tests, basically when we started to just like learn about ourselves and our teammates and whatnot. And one of the things it said was, Evan enjoys the process more than the outcome. And I always found that interesting. And I was like, I'd never acknowledged that before, like to myself consciously. But then I really thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, I like the challenge of trying to figure out how to find the result. I don't necessarily care about the result itself. Obviously, I want to win at the end of the day. And I want the team to win, whatever the end goal may be. But I find more joy and satisfaction in the process of getting there than into actually getting the outcome. When you talk about God, what do you talk about? You really like these broad questions, don't you? <laughs> I think the first thing that comes to mind is just the recent experiences, really. It's what I've been talking with my family about and friends and the other couples in our community group of just the thing that's really stuck in my mind lately is just his grace. I mean, we were not being obedient. We were not in a place of loving him and giving him praise for the things we were. And he still continued to bless us, even when we absolutely didn't deserve it. And we didn't do anything on our own other than being faithful with our finances and ultimately coming back to him and being obedient when he called us to do something um, outside of that. I mean, we didn't put ourselves in a financial position to be able to buy the home at a time that worked well for us. That was all him. And I just find myself continuously being in a place of, thankfulness to him and his grace and his mercy even when we don't deserve it on our own he still continues to bless us when you're faithful and obedient and i feel like i'm just that's kind of what's been on my mind of when we're talking about god lately beyond tithing what does it mean for you and rachel to be obedient to god i think the obedience comes down to like if you if obviously there's some discernment right like you you have to know like you have to be able to discern if if this is the Lord telling me to do something, telling us to do something, or is this the enemy trying to confuse us? And I feel like you can definitely, that can get to some murky water, and it depends on every couple, and if you have your spiritual gifts and whatnot. But something I know that my parents have always done is they just have, they both have to agree on it together. They have to feel like both the Lord is telling them both clearly, like this is the direction we're supposed to move. Even though this example A doesn't make sense, we should sell this property. This doesn't make sense to us, especially in the timing. But we both feel peace that the Lord is telling us where to do. So, what's your process to of, of of discernment? How do you how do you go about assessing whether you're about to answer? a call on your life from the Lord versus the enemy trying to 
trick you or trip you up or really get in your way? I don't know if I have a set process, honestly. I think I think we're starting to learn for Rachel and I what is going to work for us because we had those three dark years and it was a very clear, definitive, the Lord said, this is where you're supposed to be. There was no doubt in our minds about that at the time. I think right now we're in the process of trying to learn and discover for the two of us what is the right way to do it. And it might be different for every for every couple. I don't know. Obviously, a lot of prayer and a lot of community from a lot of angles. The other couples in our community group, both of our parents, our grandparents, asking for prayer, making sure that we're having those conversations about it and communicating about it. And do we both feel at peace with this? Do we feel aligned that this is the big purchase that we should or shouldn't do? If one of us isn't feeling aligned on it, then just spending more time in prayer and more time in his word and studying what is what is the book what does the good book say about it right i mean that's ultimately the guiding principle of our lives is what does the lord say in the bible and if it's not in there then it might be the enemy trying to distract you how do you and rachel go about resolving yeah. impasses if you if you if you find that you're you find yourself in conflict and there's fundamental disagreement on a di- going this direction versus that direction, and that conflict isn't being isn't getting resolved to the point where you can both mutually agree. How do you navigate that space? Well, we're both stubborn people, so it's great conversations when that happens. <laughs> I think that that what I've learned, especially recently, is that is the importance of having a community around you of other faith followers and that is definitely what we found with our community group of other young married couples to be able to use as a bounce board i like the format that we use we meet every monday night and it alters one week is big group and we're diving into his word and a devotion and whatnot and then the second week is we break into guys and girls and so that we can have those conversations and support our brothers in Christ and she can support her sisters in Christ. And I really like that format. And I really think that that is the importance of having community around you. You have to have those people that you can bounce off because otherwise it's just the two of you and you're lonely on an island and there's no one there to help or provide some wisdom in those times of need. One final question for you, Evan. I had the privilege of mentoring you while you were in college. Fast forward uh, a few years and imagine you were sitting where I was. What advice would you give to either a younger version of you or a, a young man that is still trying to figure things out may or may not want to get married, may or may not want to have kids, certainly wants to be successful in their career. What what one or two bits of advice would you give that young man as he gets ready to, to step out into the world? Not to beat a dead horse, because I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but just in our lives, we have seen the power of tithing that would be the first and foremost thing that i would say is trust god challenge god it's the one place that he encourages us us encourages us to test him on so test him see what he can do 
And I feel like once you have those personal experiences, it's really hard to deny his existence. <laughs> I would definitely say that, that that's first and foremost. And, and then community. I mean, those three years in Tennessee, didn't necessarily know it at the time, but now that we're back to where we are with the community, the importance of having those people around you is cannot be underestimated. If you're trying to do it by yourself, you're not going to make it. You, you got to have to have people around you that you love and that you trust, that you can seek wisdom from and bounce ideas off of and can help you in a time of need, even if it's the little things like I need to ride to the airport or something like that, right? If you're living way out on your own, doing your own thing, what happens when your car breaks down? You can't get to the airport and it's too long for an Uber, right? So community and tithing, I think, would be the two things that I'd really encourage any young man to seek after. That's great advice. Evan, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation today. Before we wrap, would you mind praying us out? Absolutely. Thank you. Lord, we just come to you today. Thank you for the opportunity for Doc and I to be able to just keep this relationship together. I just pray that you bless his endeavors as he moves forward in his career and his life. Bless the conversations that he gets to have from here on out and the impact that they get to have on others. Lord, I just pray that you come over all our friends and family, all of those in need, and just be with us, guide us, bless our hearts, bless our minds, Lord. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Evan. Thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Doc. Good to see you. I appreciate it. God bless. Thanks. Show at it's not my credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.